morning, guys. I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to St. James. And uh, for those watching on the live stream, welcome to you guys too. Uh, just a few quick announcements. Uh, midweek Advent service this Wednesday at 7. Uh, you can attend in person if you like. It's also uh, being live streamed on our YouTube channel. Uh, Sunday school after this, a couple of um, people have got together uh, a shortened Sunday school for the kids. So for the kids, if you want to go down after the service or after any of the three services, uh, there's some stuff to do downstairs. Uh, we have a, a congregational meeting this afternoon. Uh, more on that in a second. So that means we won't have youth confirmation today or adult Bible study on Zoom. We will have new members class tonight at 6, though. Anybody who wants to come to that is welcome to come to that. So uh, you can show up here at 6. Um, congregational meeting, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, you can uh, come here in person or you can watch it on YouTube. Um, you can't, it won't be posted publicly on our YouTube channel. So if you're going to be at home, uh, you have to click on the link that was in the email that I sent yesterday. To look at it because it's not a public um it's not going to be a public stream if you did not get that email and you want to watch the um, live stream of the congregational meeting let me know if you have any questions and you're at home um just ask those in the comment section on the youtube uh, page that the stream is on and there'll be somebody here who will pass those on there's also links in there to google forms to vote on the things that we're going to vote on so um, if you have any questions about any of that, let me know. That'll be at 11.15 after the um, uh, third service this morning. Uh, so come back for that, uh, you know, either here or in person or virtually. Uh, youth group stuff, check that out. This Tuesday night, they're going to be packing up the hats and the coats and the scarves for the mercy ministry that they're doing. As always, check out that you should have gotten an email this week about one of the mercy ministries. Check out that stuff on the back of the bulletin there. Um, if you're going to be here in the building in person, there are offering envelopes for you who are members on the back counter in the narthex, so make sure you pick those up. I think that that's all I have uh, as, uh, as far as announcements. So if you guys could stand, we will begin worship. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray, God Almighty, to have mercy on me. Forgive me all my sins and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty. I confess to God Almighty before the whole company of heaven and to you, my brothers and sisters that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. Wherefore, I pray, God Almighty, to have mercy on me, forgive me all my sins, and bring me to everlasting life. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you pardon, forgiveness, and remission of all your sins. From Psalm 80. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. You brought a vine out of Egypt. It took deep root and filled the land. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. 
Old Testament reading uh, for this morning is from Isaiah 40, uh, verses 1 through 11. Uh, It's a good one. Uh, We'll talk about it in the sermon just for a few minutes. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold, your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is uh, from 2 Peter 3. Peter says this. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus here. He says, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Well, um, so this is about John the Baptist. We, we, we think about John the Baptist uh, uh, during Advent sometimes. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, his role in life, well, his primary role in life that we know about was to announce that Jesus was about to come, that the Messiah was about to be here, and uh, that God was about to forgive sins, that God was about to that the history was about to turn and that God was about to make all things new and do away with sins. He's prophesied in Isaiah 40. Can we look at that just for a few minutes with me? Uh, verses three through five, this voice that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And, and now he's about to, this is gonna be um, some construction, some engineering language. Prepare the way of the Lord, build the road for the Lord to come back. So in Isaiah's, Isaiah is de- dealing with a time when God does not live with his people anymore. The temple's been destroyed and God is absent and the people have been scattered. Many of, many of them are in Babylon. But Isaiah is looking into the future by the power of the Holy Spirit and he sees a time when God is going to come home, when God's going to come back and live with his people. And he says, it's, it's here. He, he's seeing this voice and the voice is saying, now is the time, it's here. Let's build this road. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. So, you know, you're doing an engineering project, building a straight road through the desert for God to come back home on. And so when you get to a valley, you're going to build it up. When you get to a hill, you're going to flatten it so that this road can be this straight shot into, uh, into Zion. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. That's, that, so the road is being built so that the glory of the Lord can come back home and everybody will see it. All eyes will see it together. Now, what's interesting to me is that who's coming back home? I mean, it's clearly God, right? Look down at verse 9. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. In the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the word that's behind good news there is actually the word for the gospel, just the word for gospel. O Zion, herald of gospel, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of gospel. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. So you're looking down this highway, this herald is, and God is coming home, and the herald is saying, look, here comes God. Now, 
the gospel, all the gospels, all four of them, say that John the Baptist saw himself as fulfilling this role here. Only he was saying, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, a voice in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But he's pointing not at God. He's pointing, you know what I'm going to say here. He's pointing at Jesus. He's pointing at this construction worker, his cousin, and saying, this guy is going to take away the sins of the world. Like what Isaiah 40 is talking about, the return of God design is actually the return of Jesus, the birth of Jesus in this world. This is what Isaiah is prophesying. Very, very important too that I, that, that, that um, John the Baptist be there. Like when God sends the Messiah to do what the Messiah does, it does not go unannounced. It goes announced. For one, it's, this is because it's certain, right? This is not some sort of like sudden drop-in that God is doing because things have now gotten out of control. This is a plan, and God says, now it's time. You don't build, you know, here's certainty. You don't build a road into a desert. It's a road that goes nowhere unless you're certain that it's going to be used for something. There's, there's an element of definiteness to this. God has planned this. It's going to happen. The other thing that's going on here is this, is that you don't announce a message. Well, I guess maybe you could, but normally you wouldn't announce a message that another message is coming. You wouldn't say, I'm about to tell you something. I'm going to give you a message later on. What's not being delivered here, what's being delivered here is not a message. It's not a philosophy. It's not a way of life. It's not, you know, principles for living or laws for holiness or anything like that. What's being announced here is actually a person. The gospel is not another philosophy. It's not another way of life. It's actually a person. It's God himself incarnate. This is all Christmas 101, right? I mean, John the Baptist comes and he announces that Jesus is coming and he's going to pay for the sins of the world. And that's what we're reading about now. Let's talk about us, though, okay? So I'm, the, the, all of that was for those of you who are believers, and if you're not a believer, uh, you know, I want you to come to believe that. One of the things that we do in Advent is two things, two streams. You picked up on, if you came in a little bit early this morning, and you heard the pre-service music as you came in, lo, he comes with clouds descending. Two of the things that we do in Advent is, one, we focus on waiting for Jesus' first arrival for his birth. A lot of the prophets is what we're doing in Zechariah on Wednesday nights. Waiting for the Messiah to come from an Old Testament perspective. The second thing we do is waiting for Jesus to return from our perspective here. What does it look like? And I know we talked about this at the end of uh, Pentecost three or four weeks ago too. What does it mean for us who are waiting for Jesus to come back? How does that happen? What does that look like? What should we be doing? Let's talk about that for a few minutes this morning from a sort of a John the Baptist perspective. Because honestly, don't you want this? I mean, I have some Christians talk to me, usually it's one-on-one, and they'll say, I just wish, you know, I believe in Jesus. I just wish God would, like, do something. I wish he would, like, do something big to, like, fix this stuff. I wish that, I wish, you know, sometimes this happens around election time a lot, like, this notion of like, I, I hope that I'm praying that this person, this man or this woman gets elected for this position because we really need, you know, as a Christian, I really need this person to be in charge. I mean, don't you feel it too? Like this, this you know, if we had like this dynamic leader, I don't mean St. James, you already have that. I'm just kidding, that was a joke. Uh, but like if, if Christianity, if global Christianity had like this dynamic leader, this, who could come in and like be totally respectable and sort of cool and relevant and in charge, 
and like say things that would change people's minds and like speak truth and people would listen. Wouldn't that just be terrific? And one of the things that John the Baptist is saying is, I'm not going to prepare the way of the Lord. It's a command. You prepare the way of the Lord. That There's no more John the Baptist. Do you know who it is? So um, this is going to connect with some of you, and some of you it's not. <laughs> um, I wish my kids were in here. I could look at them, and it would totally connect with them. So in the third Harry Potter book, <laughs> a small titter of laughter in the congregation. In the third Harry Potter book, uh, Harry is, uh, not to tell the whole story, but he's being attacked uh, by bad guys, and he's about to die, and as he's about to die, he sees, he believes it's his father who's deceased, comes and like casts this incredibly powerful Patronus spell, and like knocks all the bad guys away, and he's rescued. Later on in the story, he's given this uh, magical object that will allow him to go back in time, he and a friend of his. And so he wants to go back in time and see, he's like, I saw my father there. I'm going to go. I don't know how my deceased father showed up, but I'm going to go and talk to him. And so he uses this object to go back in time to the moment when he's being attacked. And he sees himself, you know, in the, is it in the present or is it in the past? He's the future Harry. He's seeing himself in the present being attacked and almost, he's, he's dying. He's being attacked. And he goes to the spot where he thinks his father is going to show up. And he's waiting for him. And he's watching himself slowly die. And he's like, just, he's going to show up. My dad's going to, I saw him. He's going to show up here in just a second. And he's watching himself in the distance slowly die. And then he realizes, that's me. It was me I saw. And so he cast the spell, which saves him. He thought it was his father, but it was actually him from the future casting the spell that saves him. You know, you're, 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 you, are, to be honest with you, our dreams that, you know, somebody at church emailed me, I don't think they would mind me saying this, to email about this, you know, they, they, some, some um, important personality, uh, some VIP in our culture uh, kind of came out as Christian. This person is, is kind of well-known as a Christian, but outspoken about their faith. And she emailed me a link to this uh, interview with her, uh, which was good. And um, she said, you know, I, I kind of like this. I know it's not normal. I know we're not guaranteed. I mean, you know, the world's going to be against you. But it's really kind of cool when a celebrity says, I believe in Jesus. And I'm like, I know that too. I'm always, I find myself rooting for athletes who are outspoken about their Christian faith. So, you know, we're always kind of rooting for that big personality to come in and like speak up for Christianity. But at the end of the day, that personality is going to be you. You and I are called to announce the coming of Jesus. Look, look. This is how we wait for Jesus. It's not just wait, though. It's how we bring about the return of Jesus. Can I say that? Look at the Second Peter reading with me, if you have it in front of you. Since all these things, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're very, very comfortable with that as Christians. We're waiting for Jesus to return. No, 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 it's, just, it's waiting for and hastening the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be the John the Baptist in our culture today. We're called to announce the kingdom of God and by announcing it and living it, to hasten it. So real briefly, and we're almost done, got a short sermon for you today. What does John the Baptist do? Two things, he does a bunch of things, but two things that John the Baptist does to, to, to wait for and hasten the coming of the Messiah. First is repent. This is a big part of John's ministry is this baptism of repentance in verse four. 
John appears baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. The second thing, so that's the first thing, we'll come back to that. So repentance. The second thing is proclamation of the kingdom of God. Uh, verse 7, he, John preaches and says, Jesus, like I'm preaching Jesus. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and tie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, John's going to lose his own disciples to this newcomer. And the, the, the Holy Spirit wisdom that it takes to say, I don't need people following me. Look, you need to follow him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Go there. That's pretty gutsy. That's, that's pretty spiritually mature. But this is, what he, this is what he's called to do, is to not talk about himself, but to talk about Jesus. So these two things, okay? Repentance and proclaiming the kingdom of Jesus. Let's talk about repentance real quick. What is repentance? I'm going to give you a definition here. And it's, if we're going to define repentance, we have to define what we're repenting from. To say, to turn your back on, that's what repentance means. You're going to have to use the word sin, and then you're going to have to define what sin is. Can I define sin for you in a John the Baptist kind of way? And I think this is actually way more biblical than the way we normally think of sin. My temptation is to think of sin as bad things that I do or think or say. That's true. There's actually a meaning of sin behind that. Let me give you a, a twofold definition of sin. And it's, but this is the flip sides of the same coin. Sin is fundamentally, it's not the bad things that you do mainly. Sin is fundamentally a failure to live up to our vocations and a failure to worship the only worthy one. A failure to live up to, to our vocations, whatever those are, you know, your friends, you have, you have relational vocations, you have friends, you have family members, you have coworkers. You have things that you do. You have jobs that you do. You have, um, you know, whether it's the job that you get paid for or the tasks that you do at home or in your community, whatever it is. Failure to live up to what God has called us to do. Failure to be what God called Adam and Eve in the garden to do. To love him, to love each other, and to love the environment. That's the first thing, is sin. The, the sin that we need to repent of is a failure of vocation. Let, let me give you an example, actually, from John the Baptist. Because right here, he just says repent, Right? In Mark, John doesn't talk a lot in Mark. In Luke, though, he does preach some, and we get a little flavor in Luke of what he means by repentance. Do you remember this? At one point, people approach him and say, okay, what do you mean by repentance? And he says this. The crowds asked him, this is in Luke chapter 3, the crowds asked John the Baptist, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. You have relational vocations. You have people that have been called into your life. Some of them you think it's by choice, your friends. I think it's probably less by choice than you imagine. Some of them it's clearly not by choice, your children, right? It's people that are just there around you that God has put in your life. And you're called to not live for yourself, but you're called to take what belongs, what you think belongs to you and use it in those relational vocations. That's a huge part of not sinning is to, what, what do you got? You got two tunics? You got some food? Give to the people in your life that need those things. Another example, he does three, John, John does three right here. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. It's really simple. Like, what does it mean to repent? Well, the tax collectors in Jesus' day collected more than they were authorized to do. That was the only way for them to make a profit. We can talk someday about what it meant to, to tax collect on the Roman Empire. But there weren't IRS rules. It was you bid out for the job, and whatever you, you bid, you, you owed the Roman government at the end of that year. And whatever you could milk out of the populace above that would be your take-home. 
And Jesus is saying, you can't live your life like that. Or not John the Baptist is saying, you can't live your life like that. You, you have vocational relationships. You're not to use them to benefit yourself. You are to benefit them. You see a theme here with what John is, it's primarily about, he's attacking the idol of materialism here. Like, don't, you're not to serve yourself with physical things, money, clothing, food. You're to use that to serve others. One more along the same lines. Soldiers also came to ask John, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Don't use your power as soldiers to extort money. Be content with the wages that you have. So, I mean, there's three big idols that we're going to have to be repenting of. Three, three things that are going to tempt us away from our vocations, whatever those are. And, and the, it's, it's always going to be money, power, or sex, or some combination of the three. And maybe for, one of, maybe for some of you, one of those won't be a big deal, maybe two of those. But for all of you, at least one of those will be a, a demon that you fight your whole life. That's the negative side. Don't allow, in your vocations, don't allow the idols of sex, power, and money to worm you out of those vocations. The flip side, which is the most important side, is worship. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is where, you know, so there's be lots of things in your life. This goes back to the Thanksgiving Eve sermon, if you, if you heard that. Lots of things in your life that you adore, that you want to give praise to. You know, um, um, a significant other, tasty food, an exciting sporting event, a good time. That you, there's going to be lots of things that you, that you praise, which is totally fine, as long as at the center of all those things is the sun from which those sunbeams flow. That's what deserves ultimate. You know, you, so, so you're in love with a beautiful woman. Who made the beautiful woman? Who made the love that you have? You just think that that, that, that that meal that you had is terrific. Well, who makes food? Who gives you taste buds? Who designed the specific nerves that would give you pleasure from that food? It's got attacked by a fly. Who did that? Trace the sunbeam back up to the sun and worship the only worthy one. Behold the Lamb. Now you're going to be like, okay, so you're talking about two different things. You're talking about tasty food and you're talking about religion, right? No, 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 no. There is no two different things. In God's world, tasty food should always point you back to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In God's world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is the one who gives you tasty food and a beautiful significant other and and wonderful friends or whatever it is. Should always go back to that. So what are we called to do? How do we hasten the coming of the day of the Lord? Repent and worship. Turn away from from, um, false idols turn away from things that would pull us away from our vocation and worship the one true God. And then secondly, that's, that's repent. Here's the second thing. Announce his coming. To be able to say to the world, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you could shorthand, you know, you're talking about evangelism here, right? This is hard to do because you feel weird. You feel weird when you talk about Jesus. You know why you feel weird? Because what you're saying is, well, it's, what, what you're saying is weird in our culture. There are three things, this is totally not coincidental, there are three things that our culture tells us can give you future happiness. There are, th- there are th- three ways to get future. Every advertisement that you see on TV, by the way, is a promise of future happiness. You know, if you, if you, if you own this mattress, you would finally get good sleep at night. If you would eat at this restaurant, you would finally taste tasty food. If you purchase this product, you'll finally be beautiful. All these point you towards future happiness. And what you're going to say is, Sex, money, and power in our culture promise you future happiness. They are powerless to deliver that. Only Jesus can give you future happiness. 
when Jesus returns someday, he's going to make all things new and make the world eternally, you know, blessed, peaceful, shalom, whatever, eternally happy. That's going to sound weird. Not because Jesus is weird. Not because it's weird to promise eternal future happiness. But because you're not using sex, power, or money to promise that. And so to say, now here's, here's, the, good, here's the good news though, is that you guys as Christians, you've already experienced this. You already are living the resurrection life. You already have the power and the knowledge of the resurrected Jesus flowing up inside of us as a church. You've already experienced, so you're not saying maybe someday there's a road in the highway that you've already traveled on, or I'm sorry, that God's already traveled on to come to you. You've already experienced the new creation. And all you're saying is to people, you got to check this out. I know you don't see it yet, but this is going to be awesome. You got to check this out. My, my best, the best example I have of this is um, game six of the 2011 World Series. Again, this is going to connect with some of you and some of you it's not. So the Cardinals are down by two runs twice in the ninth and in the uh, tenth innings. And they're going to lose the World Series, right? But they come back and they win it. And so I watched that with Angela my son, Harry, is massive baseball fan, massive Cardinal fan. He was five at the time, so he had to go to bed about the sixth or seventh inning. So he missed the ending, didn't get to see it. I did. I woke him up first thing the next morning, and I pulled him in front of the TV, and I said, you got to watch this. I can't, I, I can't even tell you what's going to happen, but it's awesome. You have to watch this. Now, what was, what was going on there? Like, I got the pleasure of, like, showing him that game. What was happening was is I, I was living on the future side of that game. I'd already experienced the pleasure of that game. I knew what was going to happen. I knew the joy that I already felt from the Cardinals winning that game. He did not yet. He was on the past side of that game. And I had the pleasure of saying to him, you got to check this out. You're going to love this. That's all that evangelism is. It's you on one side of the future resurrection already living there saying to people on the other side, you got to check this out. You're going to like this. You and I are the John the Baptist of this world. We have been given by God the intense pleasure of saying, look, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Stand with me and let's pray. God, uh, uh, so much to pray for uh, this morning, but uh, before we get going, we want to ask you to help us to be to, to live John the Baptist lives here in our culture. Help us to repent. Help us not to find. Help us, not, help us to be faithful to the vocations that you've called us to. Help us not to be tempted away from those vocations, uh, vacation, vocations or be tempted to uh, muddy up or dirty or pollute those vocations with our culture's idols. Help us to be faithful to what you've called us to. Help us to worship you. Help us to find our most intense pleasure and satisfaction and delight in who you are for us. Lord, in your mercy. Father, I pray that you be with our congregational meeting this morning, that you would uh, give our church wisdom and guidance, and above all, a unity in you. Most of all, though, I guess even more than unity, Father, I, I pray that you would go out in front of us and that you would lead and guide this church, that we would be on your mission, that we wouldn't be here doing stuff, asking for your help, but we would be here acknowledging that you're the one doing the work and just asking you to let us go along for the ride with you. So uh, uh, work in our meeting and help us to make wise decisions. Lord, in your mercy. Father, be with everybody who's struggling and hurting and uh, uh, sick or worried. And, uh, just bless all of us in the, so, so many things that people haven't told me about. 
they're struggling with, Father, be with those people. But specifically, we pray that you would be with Mackenzie this morning, who's home recovering from surgery, that you would pour strength and energy into her body and be with her family as they help take care of her. I'll be with Janice's mom who fell last week and broke her arm, that you would give healing to her arm and give strength to Janice as Janice cares for her. Be with Rob this morning who has an upcoming surgery this week and an MRI to follow. And give the doctors wisdom as they perform the surgery and uh, give the specialist wisdom as they evaluate the way the surgery went and the way the test went and to come up with a plan of um, attack for dealing with Rob and uh, to give him healing and uh, health and a quick return to uh, physical normalcy. I pray that you would be with the family of Gina this week, uh, Shayla's stepmother who passed away, and uh, give that family the hope of your resurrection as Gina is now with you and awaiting the resurrection. Give all of us this hope, uh, the strength and hope that comes from knowing that since Jesus rose from the dead, you've raised us from the dead already, and someday on the last day will raise us completely to complete wholeness in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we can only come into your throne room and pray this because we are your children by virtue of our relationship with our brother, Jesus. And so we come boldly into your throne and, and ask you to answer these prayers according to your will and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's confess our Christian faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. 
Shout. 